growing in God's Word, and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. What is it that has John so astonished? What is it? See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Have you ever seen the film The Man in the Iron Mask? Well, in the movie, the man in the mask has been locked in a prison cell for years with an iron mask covering his face. And in the story, he has no idea why. He doesn't know what he has done. He doesn't even know who he is. All he knows is that when he was a boy, a man dressed in black came and put a mask on him and had him taken to a remote prison where he has lived for years. No contact with the outside world. No visitors. No real life just existing. Leonardo DiCaprio's character is rescued, he's taken to a safe place, and the mask is removed, and he's able to see himself really for the first time, and he is told his true identity. It turns out that he's a child of the king. He's a prince. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. If you've never seen the film, I don't want to give away too much, but one of the most powerful scenes is when the mask is removed and the man in the iron mask discovers his true identity. This is a powerful scene when he comes to realize for the very first time who he was. That is a life-changing moment. And so it should be for us. There should be this life-changing moment when we come to discover who we are or more appropriately, whose we are. Today, as we continue the Am I series and our study of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, we come to a passage in 1st John chapter 3, where each of us has the opportunity to make a discovery of our true identity. That we should be called children of God. Like the man in the mask, many people live their lives without really knowing their true identity. But when we come to understand who we really are, it's astonishing. Now here's Pastor Clay with today's powerful message for our lives. The other night I was uh, flipping around TV, which my wife says I tend to flip. She can't watch TV with me. She said I drive her insane because I flip. Now, for the record, I only flip really pretty much for commercial, during a commercial, because then I, want, then I can watch two and a half minutes of some other show and then come back to the main. I usually have one of my focused in. So anybody else do that like that? It's kind of, right? See, it's completely normal, baby. I told you, it's completely normal. I refuse to answer that question on the grounds that it might incriminate me. <laughs> um, anyway, so I'm flipping TV around, and I saw... Uh, the, the movie was on The Man in the Iron Mask. How many of you have ever seen the movie The Man in the Iron Mask? Yeah. I mean, I've seen it a bunch of times. I really enjoy that, that film. I've seen it a bunch of times. And so it was on, and so I watched it again. And, um, you know, it, it's just, it's a, it's a cool story. It's a cool story. Uh, if, you have, if you've not seen it, I'll try not to give too much away, hopefully. But uh, Leonardo DiCaprio uh, plays the role of a young man who has been locked in a prison cell uh, with an iron mask on his face, basically for about as long as he can remember. Uh, on this isolated, uh, in this isolated prison on this island, and he's locked away and he wears a mask so that nobody can see him. Nobody can see who he is. Nobody knows who he is. And the only thing he can really remember is that as a little boy, uh, a man dressed in black came and placed the mask on him, or put it on his face, on his head, and took him off to this prison, and there he has been for years, languishing in this prison cell with this iron mask on his face. 
By the way, did you know that it's, that's based on a true story? Do you know that? I, I did not know that. Um, but uh, in the 17th century in France, there was uh, some, guys, some guy, and actually they think they know now wh- what his name was, but there was a guy that was, was uh, put in several, he moved around, put in several different prisons, and he wore a mask. Um, early reports say that it was actually like a cloth mask, and the French philosopher Voltaire later claimed that it was an iron mask. But the point is, nobody seems to know why. It's a complete mystery as to why this guy's uh, identity was obscured. But in the movie, so it must be true, it's in the movie. In the movie, uh, the young man is wearing an iron mask for a very specific reason. One of the most powerful, to me, one of the most powerful parts of the film is when... Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's character is rescued uh, from the prison. He's taken out. He's taken to a safe place. And the mask is removed. And he's able to see himself really for the first time, uh, I guess, since he was a kid. And he is told his true identity. Right? If you've seen the movie, it turns out that he's a child of the king. He's a prince. And uh, uh, if you haven't watched the movie, you can watch it and find out why he was put in the mask and all that stuff. But... But it's just this powerful scene when he comes to realize for the very first time who he was. That is a life-changing, literally in the film, it's a life-changing moment. And so it should be for us. There should be this life-changing moment when we come to discover who we are or more appropriately, whose we are. That's the idea I want to share with you this morning. Uh, believe it or not, we're only going to look at two, uh, well, we'll look at more than that. But in 1 John, we're making our way through 1 John chapter 3. We're going to look at two verses in 1 John chapter 3 today. Y'all believe that? That's all we're doing. 1 John chapter 3. And I'm beginning this morning uh, with this, this idea. And it is that there is a reality of whose we are. But we're starting with this idea this morning. There is a reality of whose you are. Now watch. 1 John chapter 3 verse 1. Listen. Listen, listen to what he says. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. The world meaning the world system, those outside of this understanding of God or desire for a relationship with God or any of that kind of stuff. He said, for this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. So it seems that, and, and if you were here with us, then you know this, but it seems that all of this, all this talk in chapter 2, where he finished up last week, all this talk about the world and, and the world's influence and, and how it can affect us and all this stuff, it seems that, that all of that talk in chapter 2 is now contrasted with this, with this absolutely astounding, amazing statement that John opens up with here in chapter 3. And he says, see or uh, some translations have uh, behold. It, it's an imperative verb. It, it carries the idea of, uh, of a, basically of a command as an imperative verb. It, that what John is about to say is demanding and is worthy of our attention. See or behold. Have you all ever been somewhere, maybe in a room, I don't know, at work, I don't know, somewhere. You ever been somewhere where... 
somebody's trying to talk. They're trying to give you some information. They're trying to say something. And there's just a lot of talking going on, a lot of buzz. Maybe there's a lot of stuff happening or whatever. And that person's, you, you can't, hear, y'all ever been in a situation like that where it's like, what is that guy saying? You know, and it's all this, blah, blah, blah. and until somebody, you know, at some point that can do that real high whistle thing, whistles, or somebody says, hey, listen up. And then all of a sudden it gets, it's like super quiet, like now. <laughs> and, everybody, and everybody listens. Well, that's kind of what, what John's opening up with here in, uh, in, in verse 1 of, cha- of chapter 3. He's, he's, he says, behold, uh, hey, see, pay attention to this. And then he says, uh, and he says uh, these words. Uh, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us. How great, or what manner, I think the King James uh, says. How great this, this love that God has bestowed on us. Hey, listen up, listen up, pay attention, he says. See, listen, pay attention, behold, how great, what manner of love the Father has, the text says, bestowed upon us. This idea of, of uh, how great, it's an adjective in the, in the original Greek. Uh, Danny Aiken in his commentary on First John says that the adjective only appears seven times in the New Testament. This, this particular adjective only appears seven times in the New Testament. And it always refers to uh, or is implying astonishment. Admiration as well, but astonishment. And what is it? What is it that has John so astonished? What is it? Say it again. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God, and such we are. I love. I, I just think this is cool because. Quite honestly, John is an old man by the time he writes this. He was there at the cross when Jesus died. He has been a follower of his for many years. He has endured suffering and persecution. He is an elder of the church. He is mature in his faith. Faith, In other words, this, this, wasn't, this wasn't John's first rodeo. This isn't something new to him. He knows that this is true. He, he understands, listen, he understands theologically conceptually, he understands that, we're, that when a person comes to Christ, they're adopted into the family of God. He gets that. He gets it conceptually. But emotionally, he is so astonished at this idea that, that God would love us so much that he would refer to us or call us his children. He is absolutely mind-blowingly astonished. At the reality of this. So astonished that John, even in his old age, I mean, uh, you pick this up in the writing, it, he, he's, like a, he's like a kid on Christmas morning. Man, y'all know what that's like? Y'all remember what that's like? He's just, he's just so overwhelmed with this idea that we would be called children of God. And he has bestowed this upon us. It's a, it's a, a present tense, continuous tense verb, referring to this permanent relationship that when a person enters into a relationship with Christ, this permanent relationship that they have with God. In other words, John's not speaking in hypotheticals. He's not talking about what you shall be or, or possibility what you could be someday. He's saying, this is what you are. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a child of God. And listen to me, 
all the rights and privileges that, are, that go to an heir are yours as a child of God. That would have been a really good place to say amen, but I'm just, I'm just saying. Listen, um, let, let, me, let me read it to you for the NIV. I love the way NIV in this particular page puts it. When he says, see what great love the Father has lavished. Most of us know what that term is, lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Jesus tells a story uh, in Luke chapter 15 to kind of, it gives us a clue into what it means to be called a child of God, what, what it means to say, when I stand up here and say, all the rights and privileges that go to a, to a child of God are yours as a child of God. The story that Jesus tells in Luke 15 is considered still today by literary scholars as one of the greatest love stories ever told, ever written. It's known as the parable of the prodigal son. And if you know the story, you know that in Luke chapter 15, there's uh, this father this, that has two sons. And one of the sons, amazingly, arrogantly, presumptuously goes to his father and asks his father for his inheritance that he's going to get when his father kicks the bucket. When his father dies, the inheritance he'll get from that. He goes to his father and says, hey, listen, dad, listen, I got, I got a lot of living I want to do. Why don't you just go ahead and give me my inheritance now? You could be around a while. Uh, and, I, and I'm ready to, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to live. Get, how about if I, how about give me the inheritance now? And I don't know if exactly how he said it, but I'm paraphrasing. And his father graciously gives his son his share of the inheritance. And again, if you know the story, you know that the son goes off and, and blows through his dad's hard-earned money just as fast as he can, spending it on Fast cars and fast women, to put it in today's vernacular. Uh, he, he, he buys the drinks for everybody, man. He's buying everybody drinks. He's, he, he's, he's going through this money like, like there's no tomorrow. But when tomorrow comes, and he wakes up and he has n- literally nothing to eat, nowhere to sleep, and all of those so-called friends that were happy for him to pick up the check can't be found anywhere now, the text is beautifully says, the text says that he, he comes to his senses, literally in a pig pen. He is remorseful, he is, he is repentant of his actions, and, and he remembers that, that in, man, how good he had it at his father's house, and, and, and even the servants that work in his father's house, man, they have plenty of food, and they have a place to lay his head, and he decides, he says, I'm going to go home. He says, I don't deserve to be, a, to be a, called a son anymore. I don't even deserve it. But... Perhaps my dad will hire me as one of his servants, and at least I'll have something to eat. At least I'll have some place to lay my head. And uh, let, let, me, let me read the story, that, uh, how it comes out. Starting in verse 20. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, don't miss that. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. What does that tell us about the father? He's looking, isn't he? He's looking for that son. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house (laughs) and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger as a sign of of status and, and... All of that. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. Why? For the son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was gone. He was 
out of my life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. <laughs> I love that. So the party began. This is the reality of what it means to, to realize whose you are. That you are a child of God. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that, well, let's talk about this guy. Let's think about this guy, right? Because it'd be easy, when you read this story, the, the story in Luke 15, it'd be easy to say, you know what, that, guy, that kid got exactly what he deserved. He's the one that, that, that demanded his inheritance from his dad. He's the one that went off and just decided to squander it all. He's the one that did all this. He's really kind of getting exactly what he deserves. Maybe it's kind of hard to have compassion on somebody like that. But then again, maybe I could remember that there's plenty of decisions I've made in my life that weren't very wise. There's plenty of times that I've squandered blessings that were mine. Plenty of times when I've wallowed in the pig pen of life, so to speak. And you know, even, even, when it's not, even when it's not your fault, life still beats you up. Life still tears you down, right? It still does. People still hurt you. People still do things. People still uh, take advantage of you. All that stuff still goes on a lot. People still lose jobs. Marriages still bust up. All this stuff still happens in life. Adversity comes, uh, physical ailments and, and diseases. and All this stuff still happens in our life. But through it all, through it all, is this one amazing, life-changing, eternity-securing, absolutely astonishing truth. You are a child of God. And that, that should make us feel like a kid on Christmas morning every morning. That no matter what life is going to bring in my direction today, I know whose I am. I know what relationship I have with him. And I know, therefore, that he's working and he's going to accomplish his purposes. There is this reality of whose you are. Now, let me share with you uh, three quick ideas about this reality of whose you are, okay? First one is this. You are or you will be as a child of God. If you, if you follow Jesus Christ, you're a child of God, you are, you're, you are unknown to the world. That's what John says. Look at what he says again in uh, the latter part of verse 1. For this reason, the world does not know us. Why? Because it did not know him. Oh, you're his child? Well, the world's not going to know you. Essentially what he's saying, the world's not going to understand you. The world, you're not going to make sense to the world as a follower of Jesus Christ uh, it, because it didn't know him. When Jesus literally, physically walked on this earth, the world didn't recognize him. They didn't recognize him as the Messiah because he didn't act the way they thought he would act. He didn't do what they thought he was going to do, right? And he lived, lived a selfless, I think we can all say this, he lived a selfless, sacrificial life. And, and most of the world doesn't do that. That's, that's hard to do, to live a selfless, sacrificial life. And so they didn't recognize him as, as, as the Son of God. Right? Most of the world, I'm saying. Most of the world rejected. Obviously, many people did, but, but the world rejected him. They crucified him. They put him on a, on a cross. And, and John says, they didn't recognize him. They won't recognize you. Don't expect it to be any different than, than that. Because when a person comes to Christ, you will be different. Now, depending on at what point in a person's life they come to Christ, the change in their life may be more or less apparent. But the fact is, as a follower of Jesus, I should desire to be like Jesus. Not that I am, not that we ever become 
Jesus or God, or, but that, that my desire is to live for him, to honor him, uh, to have a reason for this life and what he wants to accomplish through this life. Right? Right? And, and, and that's, that's hard for, for a person outside of a relationship with God to understand. Why would you do this? Why, why, would, you want to, why, would, why would you do this kind of stuff? Why would you act this way? Why would you walk away from this or, or not do that? Or why, why would this be this way? It's, it's Paul put it uh, this way. Uh, maybe you've read it, 1 Corinthians 1.18. The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction, those who reject Christ. But we who are being saved know it's the very power of God. It, it's, it's foolish. And listen, it's not just, it's, it's not just, um, it's not just the information that is foolish to, to the world that rejects Christ. It's not just the information, but it's the transformation. It's the transformation, right? I know I'm not picking on him, but I, 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 know my, I see my brother Ernie back there. I know uh, sometimes Ernie works at a place where people look at him kind of strange. It's like, why, why do you believe that? Why do you take that stance? Why, why would you uh, live in, in, in that, right? It's, it's, it's not just the information. They say, what? A guy died on a cross and came back to life three days later? <laughs> Try not spit. <laughs> And rose again three days later. That's crazy. And he's coming back again. And everybody's going to, the dead people are going to, oh, right? I, I, listen, if I wasn't a part of the body of Christ, if I wasn't, if I didn't have the spirit, I, it, it would seem pretty crazy to me too. I'm like, anyway, foolish. But it's not just that. It's, it's the life that you've chosen as a result of being a follower of Christ. It's foolish to them. I, I've talked about this guy before, but I, I, I remember the first time Cindy and I ran into Wayne Brown after he gave his life to Jesus Christ. Uh, Wayne Brown was the guy uh, in high school. He was, I think he was one year ahead of me in high school. Wayne Brown was the, one, was the guy in high school that was voted most likely to end up in prison. Uh, I mean, that's true. I mean, we, we, didn't put, we didn't put that in the yearbook, but it was kind of unofficially uh, voted most likely to end up in, in prison. Uh, if you remember, if you've been here and you've heard me talk about Wayne before, uh, Wayne was involved in an, uh, a roofing accident one summer uh, before he started in high school, and hot tar accidentally was poured onto him, and it literally burnt one of his ears off and uh, permanently just scarred, massive scars on his face, his shoulder, his arms, and his hand. And it not only scarred him physically, I believe it absolutely scarred him emotionally uh, because Wayne was just, Wayne was just, he was just mean. He was just mean after that. In high school, man, he was just mad at the world, looking to fight anybody and anything that moved, just, just didn't care about schooling, didn't care about anything, just angry, bitter, mad, mean, Sure enough, after high school, maybe even before he got out, got a, uh, Wayne got into the drug smuggling business. And, and I don't have time to tell the story of how he came to Christ as Savior. That in itself is a miraculous event. But the first time Cindy and I uh, ran into him, after he came to know Christ as Savior, I'm telling you, we almost didn't even recognize him. Because, because bitterness was replaced with with joy a, a, a scowl was replaced with a smile a, uh, anger was replaced with happiness and joy I'm telling you almost a glow about the guy and and Cindy and I had come to know Christ as our savior by that point so we we, we knew the transformation we knew what, what God 
had done and was doing in Wayne's life. We, we understood that. But it was still even hard for us to recognize him because he wasn't the same guy. He was just so different. Same scars, but it was a different guy. You know what I'm saying? Again, uh, the Apostle Paul, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5, Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, new things have come. It's this new person, this new life. And, and, and as, as hard as it may have been for us to recognize Wayne, can you imagine what it was for his, for his old drug smuggling buddies and his, uh, the whole, it was so radically different. Can you imagine what it was? Who are you? Right? That's exactly what John's saying. They didn't know him. They won't know you. You're his child. They won't know you. Have y'all ever uh, seen before and after photos of celebrities that have had facelifts? Yeah, I started, I, I was looking at some uh, Thursday or Friday. I, I started to show some, and I thought, no, I, I cannot do that to these people. I can't. Before and after, because some of them is not, is not good. I don't know what they envisioned the facelift was going to do, but in many cases, uh, it, it wasn't good. In many cases, it completely altered the way they looked. They, they didn't even look the same anymore. Some, some actresses, particularly, I was reading an article about it, cost them their career because they were so different, from, looked so different from who they were because of this facelift. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you have had a faith lift. You get it? I did that faith lift, face lift thing. You get it? You have had a faith lift and you are not the same person that you were before you came into a relationship with Jesus Christ. The world won't necessarily recognize you. And, that, and by that, I mean, they won't understand why you act this way or do this certain thing or why in the world you give your money down at the church or why you, all the, you know, understand, understand? All right, here, here's a second idea. Uh, not only you be unknown to the world, but you are unfinished in this world. Right? We are children of God. Right? We are, we are children of God. Look what he says in the first part of verse uh, 2. He says, Beloved, now we are children of God. By the way, this is the second time John has said. He said it in verse 1, and then he turns around and says it again in verse 2. Isn't that strange? Why, okay, yeah, you just said that, John. Are you, oh, yeah, you're an old man. Maybe you're senile or something. You don't. He's just said it again. No, that's not it. You know what it is? He's just, he's so astonished by the fact that, that he would be called a child of God that it's almost like he just has to keep saying it. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it is, look what he says. And it has not appeared as yet what we will be. John is referring to the fact that, yes, there should be transformation. Yes, my life should be different as a follower of Jesus Christ. There's no question about that. But, but I'm not finished. You're not finished. We're, we're, still a, we're still a work in progress all the way up until eternity. And even then, John is candidly admitting, I, I, listen, I don't know what all that's going to uh, be like, but I, I, I know that, that this, this ain't it. <laughs> we're not yet what we're going to be. You're unfinished. Uh, a couple of ideas here under that. Uh, God continues to refine us, right? Oh, by the way, one of the primary tools he uses to do that is adversity. Hate it, hate it. Hate it. Can I get an amen? amen. Hate it. I, I may hate adversity. I just, but God uses adversity in our life to, uh, to, to burn off the dross. 
the impurities of our life so that we reflect more clearly this image of Jesus Christ. And he uses, as much as we may not like it, he uses adversity in our lives. He uses physical problems. He uses job losses. He uses marriage troubles. He uses uh, kid problems. He uses financial issues. He uses law. He uses all. He uses adversity in our lives to refine us more into the image of Jesus Christ. So, Listen, just an idea. Maybe the next time you're tempted to pray, God, get me out of this. And I think we've all prayed it. God, get me out of this. Maybe the next time that you're tempted to to pray that, maybe you might consider praying this. God, get out of me whatever you need to through this. Those are two very different prayers, aren't they? God, get out of me whatever you need to through this God is refining he's still refining us and the second idea is God continues to repurpose us I just readily admit to you before I knew Jesus Christ as my personal savior I had one purpose me essentially my purpose in life was the same as pretty much everybody's purpose in life get all you can while you can as long as you can until you kick the can that's, that's it, just, just living for this world, living for this pleasure, living for this whatever it is that, that I might, and, and as I've said many times before, it doesn't mean that some of the things of life are having nice things. It doesn't mean that those things are wrong or bad or anything else. What he's talking about is what becomes the purpose, what becomes the driving motive or the, or the desire of my life. That's, that's where God says, no, that's not what I have in store for you. And so he, he repurposes. He's in the process of re purposing us now our purpose becomes uh, should become kingdom focused god what do you want to do with me and through me god how do you want to use my talents and my gifts and my abilities god uh, what do you want to do with with however long i have here on this earth how, how do you want to repurpose me for this world lord god uh, cindy and i and uh, a, a couple other folks i know not many of y'all were able to make thursday night to see the film mully uh it was showing a Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday of this week. I was telling folks this morning in the setup that it's absolutely one of the most powerful films, maybe the most powerful film I've ever seen. Um, I absolutely am going to purchase it as soon as it becomes available, and I'm going to show it in here on Sunday morning, and I'm going to make the kids. No kids' church that day. Y'all kids, everybody got to come in here, and they're going to sit there, and we're going to watch what I believe is an absolutely amazing story of, about, uh, of a man who, who gets repurposed. For the glory of God. And what God does is astounding. Astounding. That's what God wants to do. He, he's repurposing us. So listen to me. Wherever you are in your life, whatever you've done, whatever your failures, whatever your disappointments, whatever your successes, whatever your achievements, whatever your disappointments, put, everybody, look up and hear me. Put your hand on your heart right now, if you will, please. Is it beating? Can you feel it? God is not done with you yet. If your heart is still beating, God is still repurposing you. God is still shaping you. God still has plans for you that, and I know, I've talked with guys, maybe I felt that way myself, and man, I I haven't achieved what I thought I would, or I haven't gotten where I thought I would, would get. Hey, God's always got plans, and he's always repurposing us, and, and towards a direction of things that 
that we can. I'm, I'm not saying that everything, and when you see the film, you'll understand. I'm not saying that, that everybody's purpose will be like Mully's purpose, but I'm saying that everybody's purpose is just as important as Mully's purpose. Hey, y- y'all can put your hands down if you want. Some of y'all are like still feeling your pulse. Like y- you are here. I, y- y'all are here, I promise. <laughs> you're still alive. And while you're still alive, God still has purposes for your life. That good news? It is. I think that's, I think that's great news. Look what, uh, look what the Apostle Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians 15. Listen to what he says now. Think about this. And if there's no resurrection, let's feast and drink, for tomorrow we die. I first looked at that, I thought it said dive. But let us, let us, let us uh, feast and drink, for tomorrow we die. In other words, what, what Apostle Paul is saying is, if this is all life is, if, if the resurrection never really happened, if Jesus never actually physically, literally came back uh, to life, if all of this is bogus, all this stuff that you're, oh, I believe in Jesus, or I'm living for Jesus, or I pray to God, or I would, if all of this is just bogus, then Paul says, hey, let's go out and party like rock stars, because none of it matters. None of it will make any difference at all. But because the Apostle Paul and myself do believe that there was an actual, literal, physical resurrection in the past, I also believe that there will be an actual, literal resurrection of my body in the future. And so that motivates me for my purpose here and now to realize that God still has purposes for my life. And one more uh, idea this morning. You will be unblemished in the next world. You're unknown to this world, unfinished in this world, but you will be unblemished in the next world. That's a really good word because the older I get, the more blemished my body Let's look at it. Let's, let's look at it uh, in verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God. It has not appeared as yet what we will be, but we know that when he appears, here it is, when he appears, we will be what? What? That's right. We know that, we, that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. We know that we will be, and this is, this is key, like him. In other words, we don't, we don't become little gods. We don't achieve godness in eternity. But in this life and in what God's doing us in this life and then, and then into eternity, we, we are becoming like. We're taking on the characteristics of, of, of God and His Son, Christ, and what he would ha- how He'd have us to live our lives. We're taking on those characteristics so that we are becoming like Him. Smalley, in his uh, uh, commentary on this passage, says this. Like implies spiritual unity, but not complete identity. We don't, we don't become God. You understand what he's saying? Burdick uh, adds this. Uh, believers can never be equal to Christ since he is infinite and they, we, are finite. But they can and will be similar to him in holiness and in resurrection bodies. In holiness, in our characteristics, and how God wants... Listen, it's okay to say God has moral standards and conduct that he asks of people. Sometimes I've had people say to me, that Bible is just a bunch of do's and don'ts. Yeah. I mean, it's not just that, but yeah, there are do's and don'ts, and there are. I can't get around. They are. God has a moral expert. God expects me to be faithful to my wife. God, on and on. You know, we could, so we take on this, and, but don't miss that part, similar to him in holiness and in resurrection bodies. He is, it is the promise of Scripture uh, that he is coming back someday 
to return to establish his kingdom and Paul se- or John seems to be indicating that we are going to be like him, which means there's a time coming in our lives when we will be unblemished. Now, now think about that for a moment. No more pain, no more loss, no more suffering, no more hurt, no more disappointment, no more cancer, no more death, no more separation, no more hurts, no more betrayals, no more sin, no more temptation, driving me in a direction God doesn't want me to go. No, none of it. No more unblemished in God's new creation. John says, no, you you won't be him, but you're going to be like him. Listen, I want to show you something uh, interesting from John's gospel account uh, that kind of lends itself to what he's saying here in 1 John chapter 3. It's uh, John chapter 20, and uh, John's writing about a time that that took place roughly a week after the resurrection of Christ, okay? He says, after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. If you know the gospel account, you know that a week earlier, uh, the Sunday night of the resurrection, Jesus shows up in the room with the disciples, and Thomas is not there. And when they tell Thomas later, they say, hey, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. He's risen. We've seen the resurrected Christ. And Thomas says, I don't believe it. I won't believe it unless I stick my finger in the nail prints in his hands, unless I put my hand into his side. It's where we get the term doubting Thomas from. I don't, I, I don't believe it. So, so just like Jesus, to show up eight days later, his disciples were again inside, basically the same situation, and Thomas with them. Jesus, now listen to this. Watch, John's telling us something, folks. And this John does this. He drops these hints throughout his gospel accounts. His gospel account. Jesus, uh, Thomas with him. Jesus came, the doors having been shut. Do you hear what he's saying? The doors having been shut and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Reach here your finger and see my hands, and reach here your hand and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Because you've seen me? Have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believe. He's talking about you and me, by the way, because we weren't there in that upper room that night. It is a faith issue that I take, but he's talking about us. Blessed are they who have not seen and believe. But John's telling us something in in that passage there in John chapter 20. One of the things he's telling us is that Jesus had a physical, literal flesh and bone body. Uh, 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 Thomas and, and the rest of them were able to touch him. They were able to feel him. He was real. He was in their midst. We know that later by the Sea of Galilee, he ate fish with them. And yet, John, I believe, is going out of his way to say, hey, they're up there in the room. The doors are all shut and locked, but Jesus just shows up in their midst. In other words, it's a flesh and bone body, but it is a body, apparently, that is able to transcend time and space. I, I, listen, I, and, and can you understand now why John says, it's not appeared yet what we shall be. In other words, John says, man, I, I, I can't get my mind around this. I don't understand how it's going to happen. Uh, I, but this I know, is what John says, is going to happen. Because the one thing I do know, and I can amen this with John, the one thing I do know is that God always keeps his promises. Always, every time. Never one. Never one he doesn't keep. Listen, grab a hold of that today. Never one that he doesn't keep for you. And John says, when we see him, we will be like him. I can't imagine what that is. I, I can't, it's, it's, it's hard to get my mind around what it would be like to, to in, in, in this resurrected state, which Jesus literally was, for those who are in him. When you see him, you'll be like, I, I, to be whatever this transformation that takes place in that moment of time, 
for all of eternity to have a real body to, to hug you with and smile and laugh and eat shepherd's pie or I don't, I don't know, whatever. I hope it's not just fish for all of eternity. But, but to have this body and yet apparently in some respects somehow is this supernatural body that, that doesn't wear out or wear down and is completely unblemished. John says, that's what's in store for you. Um, a Bible commentator by the uh, last name of Vaughn in his commentary tells a story about a missionary uh, by the last name of Alexander who said that on the mission field where he served, uh, he was trying to translate the New Testament from uh, English, or uh, assuming it went back to the original uh, Greek and Hebrew, he's trying to translate the New Testament in, into the native language of the, the people there. And some new converts, some new native to that area believers who'd come to know Christ, they were helping him do the translation. And when they came to this passage in 1 John chapter 3, when they came to this particular phrase, when we see him, we shall be like him. When they came to that particular phrase, we shall be like him. According to Alexander, the natives put down their pens and with great emotion said this, No! It is too much. Let us write, we shall kiss his feet. That would seem appropriate. It is an astonishing truth. It is an astonishing truth. It is a mind-blowing, life-changing, eternity-securing, absolute astonishing truth. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you are a child of God. Thanks, Pastor. As we heard today, followers of Jesus Christ are children of God. As Pastor Clay said in today's message, we can come to understand that theologically, but emotionally. It should always be absolutely astonishing to us that God would love us that much. Knowing that we are children of God gives us joy and purpose for this life. And knowing that someday we will be like Him for all of eternity, well, that's almost too much to take in, isn't it? I guess all we can say is, Hallelujah, what a Savior. We invite you to join us on a Sunday morning at Cross Culture Church. We gather each week in a casual and contemporary atmosphere and celebrate the goodness of our God. Cross Culture may be a little different from what you're thinking. Sure, we're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. A community of believers where Jesus is revealed in the lives of each person. Real people who truly care. Solid biblical teaching from Pastor Clay Stevens. And the most energetic, safe, and fun kids program around. Find out more at crossculturelife.org. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church in North Rollins. Taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.